Welcome to Namaste Motherfuckers, the only podcast where the worlds of work, comedy and well-being collide. I'm your host, Callie Beaton, and this episode is called We Want More. My guest and I, I think it's fair to say, are both quite influenced by American comedians, so I thought I'd start this episode by throwing in a few carefully chosen American comedy facts. Tragedy is if I cut my finger. Comedy is if you walk into an open sewer and die. That's comedy according to Mel Brooks. It's Mark Twain who's often credited with being the first to perform what would go on to be known as stand-up. Having got himself into a bit of a sticky debt situation, he decided to travel around the States giving humorous lectures to large crowds. Hold on, that's actually how I do make my living outside of comedy. Early film studio Keystone made so many comedy films which involved pie-throwing that they set up their own bakery. According to the Oxford Companion to Food, they made a special ballistic version of the pie with heavy-duty pastry and especially slurpy custard. And when Adam Hertz submitted to US Studios the screenplay for what would become American Pie, he gave it the name Untitled Teenage Sex Comedy that can be made for under $10 million that most readers will probably hate, but I think you will love. This is house clothes and just make them look good. (laughs) That's my guest today, Tanya Moore. Filmgoers apparently eat 55% more popcorn when watching a sad film as compared with watching a comedy. When Richard Pryor hosted Saturday Night Live, NBC executives were so nervous that he was too dangerous for live television that the broadcast was aired with a five-second delay. And actually, it was this that set the standard for live television broadcasts today, most of which still use a five to seven second delay. Whoopi Goldberg, who comes up at the end of this episode with Tanya, hit upon the stage name Whoopi Goldberg because of the nickname she was given by her friends due to her propensity to fart all the time in public, like a whoopee cushion. And you may or may not have noticed that she actually shaves her eyebrows. She's been doing this for as long as she can remember, but she's never publicly said why. And finally, I'm going to end this little intro on a non-American comedy quote, just because he's one of my favourite people and comedians in all the world and a former guest on the podcast, Mr Arthur Smith, who said, There are three basic rules for great comedy. Unfortunately, no one can remember what they are. No, I'm in Bromley. Well, kind of, but not I'm in Bromley. Tanya Moore is a comedian, actor, writer, presenter and voiceover artist. Her live work has included tour support for Dame Baptiste, Desiree Birch, Ellie Taylor and Catherine Ryan and she's a regular at all the big comedy clubs in the UK. She's a gifted actor with an impressive list of credits to her name and her TV comedy appearances include Mock the Week, Comedy Central's Black Drunk Histories, Richard Osman's House of Games and Alan Davis' As Yet Untitled. Tanya and I talked about success, panel shows, Edinburgh debuts, writing, improvising, bullies, banter, imposter syndrome, dancing, acting, storytelling, being single, vulnerability, mental health, therapy and of course Whoopi Goldberg. 
but I started by asking her, how has she managed to make a global pandemic her time to shine? I mean, I feel like in the middle of a pandemic is very apt. <laughs> in what way? <laughs> in the middle of chaos, Tanya seems to find balance. <laughs> there you go. I mean, you well, not just balance. In the middle of chaos, you not that you weren't successful before, but my God, yeah. Yeah. you consolidated your position. So, yeah, for anyone who's been sleeping under a rock, <laughs> what happened to you in the pandemic? I would, I would like to know. I think it might be a combination of I finally started doing some Tanya work, the therapies, the yogas, the meditations, got some crystals, all that kind of behaviour. Really, like, took time to just spend some time with Tanya. And then after that, it kind of just went mad. I think there is a definite truth when people say, just be yourself. And it's one of the hardest things to remember to do mm -hmm. if you're in a room full of people not being themselves. It's and because did you, I guess one of the things people who know you and people who love you on the live circuit well, no, you know, you're, you and I have a few things in common, even mm. though people might look at us and go, how much do you have in common? But we have the same agents. Yeah. We've both been on Celebrity Pointless. We both have a thing about writing, which we'll talk about. I don't think either <laughs> of us think it's our strength, even though we no. do write. <laughs> and we both love emceeing, right? So, yes. so we have all those things in common. And when you're emceeing, the reason you are a fabulous emcee among others is that you are yourself. So you bring Tanya into the room, yeah. the you we're talking to backstage bursts onto the stage and yeah. that's what you get. So as an emcee, you manage to do that beautifully and it seems effortlessly. I know nothing is effortless. So then when you transport that into like doing panel shows or doing stuff that's less comfortable, mm. it's great being told just be Tanya. Yes. But how do you do that then when it's such an uncomfortable situation? See, now, I think my, because my only real experience of panel show, I think, is Mock the Week. And that's quite a big one to have an experience. That's a massive one. Yeah. <laughs> straight in for the job. Like, just, yeah, literally just jumped in. They <laughs> yeah. offered it and I was like, do they know I haven't debuted? Let's not tell them. Let's just go anyways. And by debut, for those listening to the podcast, because yes, that's sorry. not else we talk about. So by debut, meaning you haven't done your first Edinburgh hour. No. Which, interestingly, everyone who listens to this who's a comedian will totally get it. My view is everyone who isn't a comedian will be like, I couldn't give a fuck what that is. I just no. like seeing her on Mock the Week. So but it's the Edinburgh Hour is a thing that you do to get the Mock the Week. Yes. You want In the to industry, have a... it's the thing exactly. you have to do. You earn your stripes with your yeah. debut hour, and then mm. you may start to do panel shows. Exactly. Because yeah. at that point, you're not funny before this hour, apparently. Yeah. Even if you've you been could... funny for 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yes. So when the offer came in, I was a bit like, oh my God, do they know? Don't tell them. And then I went there and I wasn't scared because by this time I'd done the Tanya work, right? So I was like, you're just going to get me. And if you don't like it, I won't come back and I'll be happy with that because it means there's a space that I'm not supposed to be in. But I did it. I had a good time. On the day, the producer kept saying to me, are you sure this is your first time? Because normally when it's the people's first time, they're really nervous and they're really scared. They don't know what to do, but you just look really relaxed. And I was like, well, I'm either going to be really good or really not, but I'm just going to be me. And that's mm -hmm. all I've got to offer. Mm -hmm. So that's what you're going to get. So I can't give you anything else. 
Um, and uh, after doing what the week, I can successfully confirm I don't ever want to go back to that place ever again. <laughs> it's interesting you say that because, again, something you and I may have a bit in common is that, and we'll talk about what you think about stand-up as a kind of medium. Yeah. But a lot of people are really just desperate, not desperate, but really keen to get all the panel shows, all the work they can. And I, I had a similar thing with QI. I got that before I'd done my debut hour. And I remember feeling so when I got offered it, saying to my agent at the time, who's not the agent, the lovely agent we have now, saying yeah. to my then agent, you know, I think we should just postpone it for another season. She went, Kelly, if they are offering you this, you don't postpone it, you do it. Yeah. And I remember someone saying to me, there's five seats in QI and you're in one of the five, and yours is the only piece of that pie that's never been seen on QI before, you're fifth of the pie. So all you've got to do is be that piece of the pie. Yeah. Let the other four pieces of the pie be who they are. Yeah. And I do remember thinking that, thinking, well, say, yes, I don't worry about, you can't say the thing Alan Davis says, say the thing you can say. And even if that's a jumping off point for something funny, that's fine. Just be part of, be be a voice. Because you were straight in there on Mock the Week, First of all, you were straight in there quickly. Your voice was heard, which yep. having spent a lifetime in male boardrooms, I know it's half the thing, just bloody well get heard, get yeah. your voice out. But the other thing that really struck me was like you, your ad-libbing came into play. So I know we all work with writers on these panel shows, particularly Mock the Week. You need yeah. writers because it's so topical and last minute. Yeah. But your stuff, the really funny stuff was just you, right? Yeah. That's the bit that blew my mind. I spent all that money on writers and the stuff that made the edit was just the banter. I thought like, yeah. I could have just done that anyway. It kept yeah. all the cash. I don't know. And is it but so? I, you you said about so the impost the idea of imposter syndrome and yeah. and sort of it, it, it's interesting when you talk about it as you know taking up a space that should be someone else's. So what do you mean by that? What what, what yeah? What as would in, that be? I'm I've always had since I was a, a child since I can remember. I've always wanted to be an actor. Mm-hmm. Doing comedy was doing something because I was bored one time. I'd just finished doing uh, dancing. I'd just come back from LA and, no, sorry, like, yeah, LA. And I didn't want to dance anymore. What age was this when this was happening? 22. Okay, so by then you'd been a successful enough dancer that you'd been out to LA dancing. Yeah. So I, I came back. Tanya Moore, we would expect nothing there. <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I did acting off of the back of coming out of uh, university got my feet wet into like this little small role of a film, a short film that a, a director done. And it was good, we won some awards, which was really nice. But I was like, no, I really wanna focus on dancing right now. And then did that, came back, did some teaching, dancing. And then- Were you dancing from little girl then? Did you start dancing when you started were Started at three. Three. Yeah, and then drama at seven. Okay, so it's in your blood, it's fair to say. Is it in your yeah. parents? Has it come down from your parents? My or dad. Your dad, okay. Yeah. If so anyone, he's the kind of showman. He's the showboat, okay. for sure. Okay. <laughs> he's very look at me. My mum's like, never look at me ever. <laughs> like, she doesn't want to know. <laughs> she's happy to sit in the corner. So long as she's got a glass of wine, she's all right. That's fair. <laughs> my, yeah. My dad's like, I want to be on stage in the middle of it, but like pretend that I, don't, I shouldn't be there, but like also be there, but also not be there, but be okay. there. He's that guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I've been doing that all my life. I've been on stage all my life. So I'm comfortable with being on stage. My fear comes from, am I going to be funny? But comedy came because I was just bored in life one day, but I really wanted to get back on stage. Mm -hmm. And my friend saw a comedy course and was like, why don't you just try it? See what happens. So I was like, all right, there's nothing else happening. Let me just try it. 
So here we are. But comedy isn't a love of mine the way it is for some people who wake up and like live, eat and breathe the craft. Mm. And they deserve a mock the week because the work that you have to put into mock the week is stuff that they thrive off of. It's just it's a bother for me. Yeah, I totally, I love that you say that as well, because professional envy is the kind of enemy of everybody who's in our business. And we all suffer from it. All of us could write down on the back of an envelope, here's the five people. If I never see a post from them again, it won't be too I'd be so happy. Yeah. We've all... (laughs) We've all got that. Anyone listening who doesn't do what we do for a living won't understand the pain of that. It is painful. Yeah. yeah. But there's something really powerful in knowing what it is you can do and want. and Because there's things that we don't get that are painful that we haven't got because other people have got them. Yes. But that's not the same as if we got them, they're making us happy. And yeah. trying to remember that. I watch things sometimes. I'm like, oh, why haven't I got that? And then I think I would hate to do that. I would hate to do that. Yeah. I'm really upset no one's asked me. It's like, you know, I, I don't want to go to your shit wedding, but you invite me so I can say yes. no. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's me. <laughs> I don't want to come to your birthday party. I just want you to, to want me to come to you. Exactly. And then I will say no. Yeah. So it's so I love the fact that you kind of know that, but the fact that you've talked about, I think I've even heard you say, you know, I'm not really a fan of stand up. Now I know that doesn't mean you're not a fan of stand ups. I've heard no. you speak incredibly supportively and complimentary about people we work with. So I know you're yeah. a massive kind of ally to the cause. Definitely. But I love the fact that we're that we're both comics, and because same for me, I, I love comedy, but there's other things that really drive me. Yeah, it isn't just comedy, and my end goal is not to be Michael McIntyre. Exactly, so it's not that I don't mean it when I do it, but there's a lot more going on in the picture, and I think again that seems to be a bit the same for you. Hundred percent, one hundred percent. It's not that I think I, I always say of all the things that I do, is the thing I love the least. That's so interesting. So I still love it but not as much as I would like. I don't jump up and like, oh my God, I've got to do a gig, yay. No, but I'll be like, oh my God, I've got to go and set and do a character, yay. That's the yay. So the acting is the yay. Yeah. And presenting as well. You're very presenting natural presenting. and hosting. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, and do you see, because I don't know about you, but I increasingly am seeing a difference between my emceeing gigs and my gig gigs, as in my, the way I feel. So like tonight I'm emceeing, I'm just looking forward to it. There's not a bit of me going, oh God, you really better sit down and worry about this. I'm just, I'm going to turn up and I'm going to have the best night. And I will. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think it's not, again, I won't say this too soon, but I don't think I've ever had a terrible MC night. I've had nights where I'm like, I could have done that better. That was a bit awkward. That was almost tricky. Whereas with the spot, you absolutely can and will fall on your ass sometimes, right? There's no avoiding that. So when you talk about, oh, you know, it's the thing I I least enjoy of the things, are you referring specifically to doing a set as opposed to emceeing a night? Completely just to doing a set. So you're seeing it because the- Because I don't see stand-up, I don't see hosting- as a part of stand-up comedy because of the way I, I do the two things. Because you don't weave a lot of material into your hosting, right? You tend to no. really just be like, this is me, I'm in the room, I've turned up. Whatever happens, let's do let's something. See. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's only when I'm at a more corporate event that I would like weave in some material just yes. to give the hosting some structure and yes. to not, quote unquote, attack the staff. Right. So even if you're doing like, because um, I know you do Comedy Store, I'm about to do my first MC. Well, I did the British Comedian of the Year, but that wasn't booked by the store. So I've emceed yeah. on their stage, but not as one of their acts. Yeah. So even on a night like that, when you first did that, you would still be like, I'm turning up. I'm Tanya. This is me. I'm That's not it. pre-planning material. Mm-hmm. Do you ever use material when you're emceeing then? Or do you, or would I've it be just if it comes to you? two jokes that last one minute. Okay. And they're the only two jokes that I will use over and over and over again. Right. If I feel like 
I've hit too many dead ends okay. in, in a so conversation. So you've got your get out of jails, but they're yeah. not. Yeah, I have the same with that. Well, I think I, I'm a little bit, I'm more like you than a lot of MCs. So I don't yeah. weave my set into MCing, but I do have certain bits I'll do. It's like the start of the second bit. There's a bit I'll often do, or there's a yeah. bit I'll do just before I get somebody on. Right. We have but bits. Yeah. There's little bits and I don't quite know which bits I'm going to use. And yes. if they suddenly go, could you do an extra five minutes between acts? I'm like, okay, I've got yeah. this little bit that kind of works about dating. Exactly. I'll weave that in. Yeah. But into, so I guess the advantage is, and I do also think there aren't that many, there are some amazing female MCs of yeah. whom you are kind of top of the league. I remember I would, our, I would put both of us in this category. So you and I are both kind of confident MCs yeah. and we've sort of both got a name in the kind of bigger clubs and there's a Definitely, few women who yeah. have, it's not just us, but we're probably in a minority and we I are. think we probably do well because of that. So I, I think agree. clubs are like, we really like the fact that they do this. So I think yeah. we're probably we do it. Up. We turn up, we're professional, we're nice yeah. backstage. Yeah. It's a, it's a win. We're the same person, promoter. basically. Yeah. They can no, just literally. put one of us in, other one in. So when we do, so, but the, so there's an advantage to being able to host, which I also think is about bringing, you're really allowed to just bring your personality out, right? And yeah. I think if they like you and they think you're their mate and they'd like to go and have a drink with you, you kind of half your job is done, right? Yes. And then you transfer that to your debut hour or your actual stand-up. Mm-hmm. And I was really interested when I was listening to you on Stuart Goldsmith's Comedians Comedian podcast, and he's been a guest on this podcast recently. So I think a lot of listeners will know, know him, even if they're not comedians. Yeah. I was just really interested to hear your thoughts about writing, because to me, you know, I remember the first couple of times I saw you as an act and it didn't occur to me you would have any Achilles heel okay. about your stand up. So when I heard that, I was like, that's so interesting because you don't seem like that. So what is it about the kind of writing and the straight stand-up that is less appealing to you I think I um again I think it literally boils down because I've been going over this and over this I think it literally boils down to I'm just not into stand-up comedy enough for me to go the extra 10 miles that people who are really into stand-up comedy go to right and by that you mean watching stand-up or stand-up watching as a discipline stand-up, or stand-up the, as a discipline in, yeah. for the craft yep. visiting places just being random and like going to places so you can find material all of that stuff mm-hmm. i'm like no i'll just mm-hmm. i'll just see what comes guys <laughs> i don't know what to say to you i don't do all the extra bits you know like i've seen like People like Meryl, she's re- known for being a really good writer. And I've seen that her writing process is to, you know, take a whole day, drive to a place in town, sit in the car, get the notepad, watch people and just conjure up. Oh, really? I don't do that. Yeah. Also, I'm, I'm so nosy. I'd be so busy. Yeah. I'd be thinking I was watching a reality show. I'd forget I was meant yeah. to be writing. I'd be like, yeah, what are they? I'd are download they stuff. Yeah. <laughs> what are they doing? <laughs> I'd be very distracted. I have to do it at home. So do you find then in terms of the writing, because it's the, the hour, like my debut hour was the year before I wish it had been. So I did Super Kelly Fragile Lipstick was my debut hour, which was a great title, but the show wasn't nearly as good as Invisible a year later. <laughs> and I found that the bits of Invisible that I loved and that stood out were the storytelling. So I was genuinely invested in a story. I think I stand out as a storyteller. Same. But my jokes felt harder. And in fact, the reviews all said it. They all said Kelly's the kind of like storyteller extraordinaire with some more right jokes. And actually I was like, <laughs> fair. I mean, they were a bit nicer than that. I'm, I'm putting yeah. it polarised, but that's definitely the kind of, 
And I don't know about you, but it's kind of when you've got that disparity between what you're capable of on stage, but what you're being asked to do in a debut hour, which obviously is a tightly written, you're not meant to just be pissing around for an hour. They want to see you having crafted something. Mm. So is there a reason that you've been going? Is it about 10 years you've been going now, something like uh, that? Nine now. Nine years. Yeah. So is there a reason that you've taken this long, do you think, to do your hour? Have you got some kind of imposter syndrome or fear of that versus what you're capable of? I definitely, first of all, it was fear. Mm-hmm. It was I can't I possibly can't do it now. I'm so struggling to get a type 15. It. I don't think of you as this person. Oh my god, yeah. Fear crippled me for a long time. I know that fear took over at least two years of mm-hmm. my life. Um then there was the getting finding a place and being comfortable in it and then being mm-hmm. like, I don't need that, I can just do this. It's mm-hmm. fine. I don't need Edinburgh. Um and then it was um just I think it still just goes back to fear, if I'm honest. It's, mm-hmm. I'm still very much, can I be entertaining for an hour mm-hmm. with proper, tight, a whole story, scripted mm-hmm. material? Can I do that? And some of me is like, come on, Tan, you can do this. Um, and then the other half of me is like, no, actually, I can't. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. And I'm still I'm still battling it. And I think that still answers, that answers why I'm taking long to even get to Edinburgh. I mean, we... We were told to stay at home and I was the only person that was like, yes. I'm the same. Well, you and I also, again, I, I don't, lots of people say that Edinburgh, may, and again, people who aren't in our business will be like, what is all this with Edinburgh? Like, who cares? Yeah. But it does matter so much. I think it matters less than it used to in our business. I think it used to be an absolute essential. Yeah. And I think the field has opened up, not least because people are making their way with online content. Yeah. They're making their way in different ways now, right? And I'll, yes. I'll be on bills with people. I was on a bill with somebody on Saturday night who I'd never heard of and then I found out he's got like 1.6 million fans on YouTube and he's like an incredible impressionist and I was like okay you're you're incredible like you came on and you were like a seasoned act but you are a seasoned act just not on the circuit not on the circuit but now I I recently met Abby Clark yeah 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 so I didn't know about her before and then I we gigged together and I was like oh I really like her let me follow her and then I was like oh oh she's Abby Clark okay this makes so much sense she's brilliant absolutely brilliant and comes from a brilliant family yes it makes all of the sense right a lot of the shows I know when I worked for Comedy Central in the US a lot of our big shows like Broad City they came from web content so like I remember talking to Abby and Alana from Broad City and them saying that when they did the whole um, Upright Citizens Brigade they were always overlooked and they were never the ones who got Saturday Night Live and they were underestimated and everybody was like, oh, you're the... So they just started doing their own stuff and then Amy Poehler mm. found them and next thing you know, they've got their broad city. Yeah. And I love that. As, and that's obviously going back 10 years now, but I love that story that you can you know, beg forgiveness, not permission, just get into what you're doing your way. Yeah. So a bit of me also thinks, why are people like you and me who are good at what we do, why are we tying ourselves in knots about this? I know we've got to work hard and we have to write, but why are we having to pass up? Do you know what I mean? A bit of me is like, yeah. do we do we have to do this? Um, or, uh, yeah. What do you think? I mean, it's. I know you're the sort of person. Who, if it's a challenge, you'll you'll do it. I want to do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's a different thing to whether you actually need. You need to do it for Tanya, but do you need to do it? That's the thing. I'm 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 actually in a space now where I'm asking myself this question: Do I need to do so many live gigs of a month? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, How many do you do? What would your average month be if you include emceeing and sets? I would say on average, it's at least four times a week. Yeah, same for me. Because you so have, more nights you always do not. the weekends. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You always have the weekends and then you might have the Monday, the odd Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday gig. Yes. But you always have your Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. Right. Um, 
So yeah, I'm always doing weekends. So I want to get to a space where I'm like not away from home in the evening all the time. Yes, I know what you mean. Yeah. Because it's it's starting to get to a point where I'm like, the moment I want to do something privately, I have mm -hmm. to go to work. Mm-hmm. Always, or I can't do anything else because I'm in this area, this this part of London or this part of the UK for this whole weekend, or I'm in this part of the UK tomorrow, but the next day I've got to be in this part of the UK and there's not really much time to do anything but sleep and breathe because you've got to drive home, get home, sleep, wake mm -hmm. up, get prepared and then head off to the next place. Mm -hmm. So you can be there on time and not sit in traffic and sit in stress wondering if you're going to be late. There's so many levels to it. Mm -hmm. Nobody realises about, the bit that happens when you're not doing that 20 minutes on stage. It's funny, isn't it? Because that's the bit. I, I had a line in Invisible about me doing what we do on stage day in, day out, because I find the bit off stage so difficult. Yeah. And one of the things, and again, I don't know what your setup right now is, but I'm single. I live on my own now. There's something about doing what you do. So you can have the biggest, you know, when I've done bits of telly or performance or whatever, where you just, it really you just knock it out the park and then you walk out of the venue or the TV studio and you're like, there's no, I don't know who cares that I just did that. Babes. And it's the, I, isn't uh, it the weirdest thing? It's so gut wrenching. Isn't it? So my yeah. 2020 and most of 2021, I was single as well. Mm -hmm. I just got back with my ex. We'll talk about that another day. Mm -hmm. But I really was having a struggle with doing so many new things and nobody really understood. Like I can mm -hmm. call my mum all the time, but she don't really know what our industry is about. Mm -hmm. She's just enjoying that her daughter's doing well. That's really it. Mm -hmm. So when in, in talking to my mum, you can't be in the raw emotion of it because you've got to break all, you've got to explain the raw emotion before you even be in it authentically and properly, right? You've got to be like, mum, this happened and this person, but who's that person and why? And it's like, ah, now we're getting lost somewhere else where I don't want to be. So that conversation doesn't always happen. It's normally just, was it good? Oh, it was so good. I had such a good time. Oh, that's nice. And it's a really weird, if there's one time I feel at my most lonely and, and you understand why you hear stories of, and again, I'm not condoning what people do. Yeah. But when you hear stories, like the whole thing that happened with Jason Manford and him being online when he was happily married and people are like, how can he do that? I'm not in any way condoning the morals of what he did. No. Not least because I know his first wife. But I do <laughs> understand, I, what I do understand is how that bit when you just get into the kind of travel lodge, I'm sure he was probably wasn't in a travel lodge by then, but you get into your shitty hotel, you're up wherever yeah. you are, somewhere you don't know anyone. You've done your gig. It's been amazing. You don't even have mates to go out for a drink with that, you know, and then you're in your hotel room going, did I dream that? Because I, 20 minutes ago, I was on that stage and everyone adored me. And now I'm sitting in my room and no one could give less of a shit. And Literally. it's the, isn't it the weirdest thing? And it's the very hard to stay weirdest. well yeah. with those highs and those lows. Yes. And the resilience that you need to kind of ride that out when you don't have a, a person out in the world with your name on them who's yeah. there for you and asking you for that stuff. It's a weird Literally. business. It's how it? it's how some some I understand how some comedians end up in the pub after the gig with audience members. Like I understand yeah. how that can become a thing because again, when I was in Dublin, I was so nearly tempted to go for drinks with some of the audience members because it was like- They're your mates for the night, the that's gig. Yeah. I'm now backstage, I get to watch Catherine, which is always nice. Yeah. I'm drinking wine, having a good time. The show now ends an hour later. And you're talking about supporting Catherine Ryan, yeah? Yeah, yeah. sorry, yeah. So the show now ends an hour later 
And then I'm just in Dublin. I've got to wait until tomorrow for my flight to go home. I know. It's just me. But there's a whole rush. My phone's going off because, you know, the followers are coming in. You were so good, blah, blah, blah. It's all happening. And all you want to do is say, yeah, I'll, I'll accept that drink invite and go out with these random girls who I just met who know nothing really about me. They just yeah. know my stage character. But at least it'll be somebody who I can talk about the gig to. It's funny when you have the, I had it the other day as well, because obviously most of the things we do aren't live. And I had it um, a couple of weeks ago where something I'd recorded was going out and I came off stage at Angel and realised when I got into the car, that was exactly when my show was going out. And it was just the weirdest feeling because I thought I'm really proud of that show and I'm really pleased it's going out. But I find it really weird that I'm now sitting in my car on my own, watching messages come in from people going, oh, you know, I've just seen you. You're so brilliant. (laughs) And you're like, but I'm just like some random in a car going home even my cat's looking at me when I come in like yeah what have you got to say for yourself <laughs> back already yeah exactly <laughs> have you got nothing better to do tonight Namaste, motherfuckers. it is really interesting that you had we had opposite kind of pandemic so you just kind of took off and took off from a really high base to be fair to you you didn't Thank come you. out of nowhere but yeah. you consolidated everything you'd stood for before and you really took off and lots of people like me were very very pleased to see that happen so it happens mm. to good people at a good time and you that was your story thank you I had the kind of opposite where all the stuff I was about to get just fell away oh. and it was a very difficult couple of years but it's funny when you start, and now I'm getting that momentum when I didn't think I'd get it again. I'm like, all oh, right, yeah. I'm getting that back again. Yeah. Um, but it is a funny thing that those things aren't the things that make you okay, right? So you can be doing, so it sounds like on the inside, you were having some, not a lonely time, but things weren't completely straightforward for you, even though career-wise, it looks incredible to all career-wise, of us. Career-wise, I'm having the time of my life. Yeah, it looks like it. Personally, it's been a struggle for the yeah. last 2020, 2020, 2021 was rough. Nobody would know, but it was probably the worst year I've had in a long time. And do you mean mental health-wise that it was Mental health. I was um, dealing with um, a flatmate who was a psychopath, tried to ruin my life, still is, if I'm honest with you, has got a dog, like a dog with a bone for me, taking my information, trying to make credit cards, trying to like really be an absolute cow. Throwing away my letters, so I'm now still paying for random people who are trying to clamp my car because I didn't pay for a, 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 a parking ticket. I went for a red light or I went over the Dartford Bridge and forgot to pay. Now, instead of it being, you know, 250 or 30 or 90 pounds, I'm paying 469 pounds to get the course. clamp off my car because this nightmare has decided to just be spiteful to me. So you've got a real life trolling thing going on. Not real even life, Twitter. Yeah. going to court, trying to get this woman off my back. At the same time, if I didn't have work, I think I would be some, someone else today. So the work is, it's funny, isn't it? How you, I remember when I read all the Armistead Morpin books, the Tales of the City books about San Francisco, like when I was in my early 20s and there was a line in it, you know, it, it, much more beautifully written than I'm going to say it. But basically <laughs> you can have the hot partner, you can have the um, good job and you can have the you know good place to live, but you'll never have all three at once. And yes. as a 22 year old, I was like, what? What do you mean you can't? Now I'm fully aware you do not get all those things at once. But to somebody like you, where you're, brand I mean this sounds really cynical and wanky (laughs) I'm not saying you're creating a kind of fake brand but you're very what you what you get with you is very recognizable if someone says Tanya Moore you've got an idea of your look your style your personality yeah and that seems very founded on like self-belief yeah and then there's another part when you talk like that I'm like wow so there's like 
there's a whole other side, like a much more self-doubting, vulnerable, oh, one fragile side. Yeah, which is much, which is much harder to see, even knowing you a bit like I do. It's, it's def- I'm definitely. So my, my dad is very much. Um, uh, you are who you are. When you enter any space, just be yourself. If no one likes you, forget them. He's mm-hmm. told me that since I was a child. So I've always been very much like, I don't like clicks, don't join groups, don't do all these mm-hmm. things. I like bouncing around and being somebody who can talk to everybody and all that kind of stuff. I'm confident in that. I know who I am, where I come from. Mm-hmm. I know what I bring to the table and what I don't bring to the table, mm-hmm. which is also really important. Um, I'm not confident in things like... Um, my writing or sometimes when I enter a new space, I'm a little bit apprehensive because um, I don't know if you're going to be able to take my personality or deal with what I bring to the table. And, and do you mean I'm, literally space like certain parts of the country or certain types of rooms? Or... Rooms, countries, around mm-hmm. certain people. And when you I do say some space, material about that, don't you? Some About like how people respond to you in certain places. Differently, yeah. yeah. It's, very, it's very different. And growing up being who I've been, I know that sometimes when I enter a room, I come off as standoffish. It's not that I'm being standoffish. I'm just seeing if you can handle me. Okay. It's got nothing to do with me not liking anybody or me. It's it's literally me giving it five minutes to say, can you handle me or should I Mm -hmm. dial it down a little bit? Mm -hmm. Like, where should I land? Am I I coming in this room at three or should I come in at seven? So you're reading the room rather than thinking the room should read you. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But I know no one... Unless you know me, you don't know that that's happening. And I know it comes off as, oh, she probably doesn't want to be here. And it's not that. I'm just seeing where you are, babes, before mm-hmm. I I don't want to come in and bulldoze the room and then be like the person in the room who makes the room horrible. I want to mm-hmm. come in and climatize to the room so mm-hmm. we can all have a good time, mm-hmm. right? But that you, unless you walk in saying that, you, you come off like... Get it put on a T-shirt. Yeah. I, I'm reading the just, room, babe. <laughs> yeah. Just trying to see where you are. <laughs> yeah. And is that because that's something I think that you do. I, I do believe and I'm a bit well, I'm over 10 years older than you. I think I think you might be having a big birthday this year, but I don't know if you want to yes. talk about that. I, mean, no, I'm, I'm, about I can't that. wait for yeah. it. So yeah. 40 this year. Yeah. I'm sure you can't wait for it because you look about 26. So yeah, you'll be fine. <laughs> Says you. <laughs> Get out of it. We have that in common as well. We do have that in common. No wonder Hannah represents us both. She's got this sewn up from each end of the scale. She has a baby face as well, as much as she hates me saying it. That's true, she she does. does. Yeah, so she's working the 30s. You'll be doing the 40s. I'll do the 50s. We got that covered. But when you look at the, um, one of the things, you you know, you talked about the Tanya work you've done this over the pandemic. And I think you do do a lot of work on yourself as you get older, not that we're old. As you go through life, you know, you get some sort of wisdom. And one of the things that I do feel really strongly about, and I talk about it a lot in my kind of speaking career, is the idea of the gap between the versions of yourself. So the self you're putting across on stage or in a room, Mm. the self you think you are, and the Mm. self you really are. Let's assume you've at least got those three selves. Yeah. And a bit of what there's something about learning to bring that vulnerability, that self-doubt into what you do on stage. And because in some ways that is what would make an incredible Edinburgh hour, right? If that, if there was a sense of that, as well as your powerhouse on stage person, that would be something to behold, but it's how to know that vulnerability, let alone let anybody see it. Yeah. Yeah. And is that something, so when you talked about your tenure work and I said, you know, you've had this incredible kind of pandemic, not disregarding all the awful things that have happened, you know, of course, but personally for your career, it's been good. And what is the tenure work that you've done then in that time? What, what What's changed? Oh, learning about Tanya. That's the most important thing, because I would have said to you that before the pandemic, 
I was definitely, okay, let me tell you this. In 2017, I was ready to quit comedy. I was done. I was done with life. I was having a really bad time. And then December 2nd, one of my really closest friends, bestest friends died. And that threw the life out of me. That was also the same day I had my funny women heat. <laughs> wow! So it was a really, it was a last. She went heat. on to so win. I, we should say, yeah, we, yeah, but it was the last heat, so I couldn't move it. I had already moved it for another reason beforehand. So you know, I went down to do that. Uh, then I found out that I was pregnant a few days later. Then I miscarried on my birthday, which is December oh the twentieth. So as you can imagine, by the end of the year, I was like, I'm actually finished here. I think I've so got. So this is just over four give. years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And then the re only reason why I continued with the Funny Women competition is because that was the promise to my friend. She knew I was scared of doing competitions. Mm -hmm. She knew that it was about me just facing the fear, do it or stop doing comedy. Mm -hmm. These are your options because you can't keep running around in this circle mm -hmm. that you're in, right? That's the only reason why I continued doing the competition in the first place. Um, and so I got to there and then one Funny Women. And I don't think I was mentally ready for what came after winning funny women but I pushed on anyway and that's a big deal again for anyone listening who's not in our industry that is a really big one there's a few sort of competitions that are significant to win I mean any competition is significant to win but that's a big one and it does yeah. unlock a lot of opportunities for anyone who yeah. gets to the final let alone wins it right yeah so I won it I had a meeting with Hannah like um a week or so later and then it was like two days later, I had booked my first acting job and all those other things. I had to quit work and life just changed straight away. So you had a day job, then you won this, then you got Hannah as an agent and then you didn't have a day job and you were full time performer, actor, comedian, MC. Yeah. 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 So and virtually, so, over, so that is a kind of Cinderella story. Literally. And that's why I don't like talking about it too much because some people, you know, I don't think it was an overnight well, you've been doing it because you've been I've been working for exactly. A while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you I feel like it. it all kind of came there. Yes, at a certain point. Um, and so I spent a lot of before lockdown just winging it, mm -hmm. just entering a room and trying to get through it, and just being like, "Well, we got through that. Let's see what tomorrow brings." And would you tell anyone you felt like that, or was that your kind of no. guilty secret? I wouldn't tell anybody at work. So my personal, like in my personal life, my friends knew. And did you tell Hannah? Did you tell our agent? Did she know how you? No, she didn't know. Yeah, she didn't know until after I. Because you were scared the she work. wouldn't want to rep you if she knew yeah. how you felt. Yeah, I was like, she she doesn't want to deal with this all this drama and madness mm -hmm. and nonsense. So um, you were trying to impress everybody, including the person who was had your back. Yeah, yeah, everyone. Yeah, so that so when lockdown came, I was like, right, this is the time where I can actually sit down and say let's kind of deal with this stuff because I can't keep carrying it. It's really heavy mm. carrying the loss of someone, carrying, you know, not really dealing with the loss of someone. Well, the loss of two people. You lost, well, a, you yeah. lost a friend then and a baby all yeah. at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Then the week before lockdown, broke up with my partner, moved out, moved into a was new space. Was that right before lockdown? I didn't realise that. Literally oh, the wow. week before. And before then, you knew there was going to be a lockdown or did you know it was coming? The week point? before Boris announced it. So you knew something was coming. No, I didn't. I don't watch you, the news. Oh, so you had no idea. No idea. So it wasn't like I better shit or get off no, the pot. No, <laughs> I was this is leaving coming. because I was like, I've had enough here. I've got to go. My mentals at that point, my mentals were in trash. They were in the yeah. bin. Yeah, yeah. They were. Yeah. I was. I was gone. I was losing it daily. I was out of it. You were working. Mm -hmm. I do remember at the time when I was. You were like working so hard. You were like working yeah. out. You were cooking food in the night to be healthy. You would. I remember yeah. hearing you and thinking, 
oh my god your schedule sounds yeah. insane it was but it and was you in- were feeling insane yeah but yeah. I was doing lots of things I didn't have time to sit with myself because yeah. I knew if I sat with myself that'd be a problem so you were keeping yourself ready. so running away from yourself basically yeah which they say when you're really driven, do. what are you driving out? And I think that's a really good That's question, a good saying. Yeah. 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 I, I was driving away from all of my feelings. And so the Tanya work literally boiled down to get this together or you're going to explode and mm-hmm. not in a cute way. Do you know what I mean? So you knew that. And it's one thing to know that. And I think the chickens come home to roost. You, you're a bit more advanced on that as you are in comedy than me. Because t- I was about 10 years later than you when I had a similar phase, like late 40s for me. Yeah. The real watershed. And it sounds like for you, it's been late 30s. Yeah. And in, so what is that? So you get to the point where your strategies don't work anymore. They reach their sell by day. All the mm. stuff that really you were getting rewarded for doesn't reward you anymore. And you no. run dry and you're like, okay, I can't. I've got to get out of my own way now and do something different. It's therapy. Yeah. So is it therapy? Was that the clue for you? That was it for me. It's therapy for me. It was reading lots of books for me. It was yoga for me. Something as simple as every morning. No, it was three times a week. Sorry. I'd go with my friend, but I'd do the other two days as well. But in the morning, six to seven, just going for a walk. Mm. And luckily where I lived at the time was very hilly. So we just walked up the hill, round and back down. Mm. And that took the hour. Mm-hmm. And all those little things slowly but surely started freeing things up for me in my mind. Also, having an answer to where something comes from, like why I would react to a certain person this way mm-hmm. or why I feel a certain way in a certain room around, you know, having a place to say, oh, this is where that comes from. Mm-hmm. This is why I feel like this. This is why I may react in this way. That gave me so much. It's like putting, like, it's like the room was a mess and now I've got places to put the mess. There's shelves, there's boxes, there's Mm. places to make the mind tidy. And that was a game changer for me, tidying up my mind. It's funny how you, it's funny you think of it like tidying up a room because I, I run a lot, as you know, and it yeah. isn't a kind of smug. Oh, I like running half marathons because it's so impressive. I, I really it's not about my body. It's all about my mind. Mm. And yes, I'm aware at my age, if I don't use my body, I will lose my body. And I don't mean looks wise. I mean, in terms of physical strength and fitness, I want my yeah. body to keep working mechanically. So that does matter to me. Yeah. But it's really not about how I look. It's a, it's definitely about mental health mm. and I run like you said with the walking I, I live near Hampstead Heath and I, so I've got a beautiful place to run I should say at the poor side of Hampstead Heath not in Hampstead <laughs> um, but I and when I I often have this um met, kind of a metaphor in my mind like I go out and my mind's like a bag of dirty washing and I feel kind of jagged and messy and then somehow by the time I'm doing those last 10 minutes back home I'm like oh the washing's on the line it smells of Lenore I haven't even had to think it through. It's yeah. just unraveled, not unraveled itself. It's kind of folded itself, made itself aired. And it's the loveliest thing, isn't it? So there's that yeah. idea that I think there's also something about knowing that you yourself can have the the answers, that you don't need to be looking to someone exactly. else or something else to make you okay. You're like, no, I can sit with this shit. Yeah. And I'm resilient enough to do it. And that's an incredibly powerful position. I am actually robust. I'm not pretending to be robust. Yes. Yeah. My biggest shift was accepting that, for most of the things that I'm scared of, that I'm fearful of, that I don't like, all of the things, all the negative emotions, it's my fault. And I tell you why it's my fault. I've got all these preconceived ideas of what might, could, should happen. And I've put all this stress on myself before I just, just relax, man. Mm-hmm. No, everyone doesn't hate you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> everyone doesn't not want to work with you. Everyone doesn't not want to be around you. Everyone, you know what I mean? And I put that in my head like, oh my God, do I, why is this happening? I don't know why I would do that to myself, but I would genuinely be full of all these 
thoughts just swirling around my head mm-hmm. that don't need to be there. Literally then, your own worst enemy. Literally, mm-hmm. me fighting me, but blaming mm-hmm. everybody else for fighting me. Mm-hmm. And working with my therapist showed me where that came from and why I do that. Mm-hmm. And that was a massive, that was my biggest game changer okay. in 2020, definitely. And there's actually um, Jess Foster Q, who I interviewed for this a while ago last year. She recommended a book called Letters to a Young Poet, which Sarah Pascoe recommended to her when she was quite new, which was about the only race you're running is against yourself. You know, basically, yeah. I mean, it's a very clever book. I think there's more to it than that. But basically <laughs> looking at it, it's not about external affirmation. It is not about comparing yourself to other people. It's what it's the race you're running with yeah. yourself. And the sooner you realize that, the more chance. Otherwise, there'll always be someone out running you always because you're going to find the next person and the net there's always going to be somebody somebody. who's got the Hollywood movie deal or that no matter what you're doing Catherine Ryan probably has people where she's like but I didn't get that and they've got it they'll always be the next level up so we have to level up against ourselves I guess yeah and is it um in terms of your show I'm going to ask you in a second the three questions I ask everyone but your debut hour is called Bully yes and as you're talking I was thinking oh my god if if the quality of what you are and what you say and who you are like right now in this conversation Mm. I'm like wow I would totally want to spend an hour hearing your story so what is your hope for bully then as you're forming it and as you're getting ready to go to edinburgh in august bully special to me because i think it's probably the rawest i'm ever going to be on stage ever to Mm -hmm. this date um and my hopes for it is to for it to be received well first of all um i finally want to tell people who i actually am not the preconceived Mm -hmm. notions of people who have seen me online and then gone on to make an an idea of who i am Mm um and I'm really precious about bullies, how they get handled, how we deal with them in a society. And I would like to create a short play to go into like the drama curriculum in schools Mm -hmm. and then make a show about what happens in the life of somebody who you, because my show, if you don't know, it's called Bully. It's about me being bullied as a child and why I was a bully and how it's impacted my adult life. So you were the bully, you weren't bullied. I was the bully, Mm -hmm. yeah. Which is a fascinating perspective. Yeah. yeah, not much people's. I've I've learned from doing previews that everyone's kind of like, no one ever talks about this. No, but they also, don't. There are loads of bullies, Callie. Yeah. yeah, I'm not alone. I thought no, I was. Alone. Every audience you have, there's going to be bullies in there, and are they going to more than you can think? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So I'm excited about that, but I want the show to be uh, the TV. I want it to be a TV show, like a little drama slash sitcom dramedy, mm-hmm. um, about what it's like to be an adult in a world like this world where you used to be a bully, but now you're, 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 my thing now is to be lying for somebody who's an underdog or somebody who feels like, you know, if there's a room full of people and there's one person sitting over there, I want to sit with that one person. Yeah, yeah. Because I know from being who I am, I'm being who I've been, what I've been through, nine times out of 10, you're not being antisocial. You're probably going through loads of different things. And the last thing you want to be asked right now is how are you? Yeah. I know that my power is that I can make almost anybody laugh and forget about anything for five minutes. So that is what I want to do. And there's a reason why I'm like this. And it, it could be, some people say, do you feel like you're, you know, this person now because you feel really bad? It could be, but I genuinely believe that in doing my own Tanya work, my focus of being born, completely my whole purpose is to be an entertainer and make people feel good. And so that's what I want to do. Does that and come from when you brought gonna... up religiously? Does that have a kind of religious type of purpose or is it more of a kind of spiritual idea of purpose? I would say it's a little bit of both. I was brought up um, in Christianity. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't consider myself a Christian. I consider myself somebody who's spiritual. Mm-hmm. But I believe whatever power is up there, and I call them God, mm-hmm. 
sent me here to be this person who I am today. Mm-hmm. I believe that. Mm-hmm. And I, I take pride in being able to make people feel good. And when they leave my company, they say, oh, I really like her. I like that. That's my whole focus. And I'd and say so, audiences quite like that, having seen them come out of your show. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're in that love. And when you talk about that, I mean, I know how hard it is to craft an hour. Trust me. And it's not yeah. my easiest thing either. But in terms of the kind of what makes for an interesting hour, everything you're talking about, the theme, you, the layers of you, yeah. the timing of you. Yeah. It kind of is the time for this, right? It to does do seem, it. Yeah. This is, the, this is the year to do it without pressure on what it has to be but in terms of a compelling story and a reason to tell it yeah I'd say you've got those two things down going back to when we started this conversation I don't like writing comedy I know (laughs) so how am I gonna get this show together I know I feel exactly do you know what though I don't know if it's the same for you I've never something's unlocked a little bit with my writing not that you'd know to watch it but and you know what it is (laughs) it's just it's mucking around like literally this year the best the best gags I've had this year, and I've got quite a lot of new at the moment, I've been writing and writing, writing, a load of shit, nothing's funny. Mm. And then somehow, just before I go on stage, something comes out in my head that is nothing I wrote down. I'm like, ah, oh, that's the funny. But I think if I hadn't put in the seven hours writing, mm. it wouldn't have come. So now I'm realized that it's a bit like, you know, you've got to just kind of do the thing, do the thing, do, nothing's coming, nothing's coming. And then when you stop thinking about it, it you, unlocks. But can you do the, sudden stroke of something great without yeah. the seven hours but I no. think if you almost see it like that it's kind of like you do all that work to get your one joke mm. but the joke comes and for people like us who MC, the jokes do come otherwise we couldn't MC. but it's like allowing that to transfer to writing but it's so funny that you and I are both so scared of that yeah <laughs> even though we have material and where did it come yeah. from we, we wrote mean, it or we wouldn't be comics right so. and I, it's not that I'm saying I'm absolutely rubbish at it I'm saying it's my weakest muscle would well, you think it's your that- weakest muscle as well I sometimes yeah. think, do you do we almost allow ourselves to say that and then we can also as as people who can MC and have stagecraft you can hide a lot behind that so you and I can get away with not writing as much because yeah, we'll, we'll, exactly. we'll get away with it and it's like okay but yeah I think it, it's really interesting hearing you say that well I'm really looking forward to seeing Bully and we'll put details Thanks. in the show notes and I hope everybody yeah. listening will be waiting for this show and we'll give you all the support in the world Tanya because you definitely be deserve it it's gonna be good uh, it's definitely gonna be good it's gonna be yeah. good and our shared agent is going to make sure it's good because she's it trying is. to persuade me to do an hour this year i'm not doing one so it's all on you oh my so. god babes listen we're <laughs> in the middle of i'm still like do i really want to do this i'm definitely i tell you the truth i'm definitely in the middle of the reason why you do edinburgh i'm already doing so what am i putting myself through edinburgh for that's do you know what though I, am. I totally hear you and I found doing invisible which was 2019 one of the hardest things I've ever done mm. but I'm so proud that I did it I don't know what I'll do again in Edinburgh but I I owed it to myself to dig deep and try and do that show and yeah. it wasn't perfect there's things I wish I'd done differently but I don't regret that and I think when you're at a pivotal moment in your life which you are yes you have a story to tell and regardless of how that's received yeah. it's your right to tell that story to people across a broader kind of range yeah. of locations and places and times yeah. so even if that's why you do it that's a really moving reason to do it yeah that's true what I'm saying is, oh, you, man, have horrible, you have a horrible month, so I don't have to. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> 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 so, what would you pick as your Namaste motherfucking life changing moment? Oh, that's shaving my hair. 
Ah, yeah. Because when you won Funny Women, you had, yeah, you had long hair. Yeah, long hair. Yeah. And then uh, I wasn't going to, so I'd already planned to shave my hair when I was 40. Because I've always heard that when you're 40, you don't give a stuff, you don't give, you don't care about nothing anymore. Right. So I was like, right, because I've always had my hair like this covering my face, fringes and all that, because I really hated my face. I didn't want anyone to see it. Your beautiful face. Growing up, I was always told you look like your dad. So I always thought I looked like a man. And so I was like, why do you want to see my face? I'm just a man. So I've always had, yeah, I've always had that. So I was like, when I'm 40, I won't care about my face and I'm going to shave my hair off because I've always hated hair. I'm just not that much of a girl. Mm -hmm. Can't cope with it all. It's a pain hair. Shaved it before I was ready at 36, shaved it off, got rid of it. And it was probably the best thing I did because then I had to face myself. Mm -hmm. There was no more fringe. There was nothing to hide my face. I had to face who I was right there every day and become comfortable with that. And that definitely started me on my journey of let's figure this out. So you let yourself be seen and paid off. It did. Yeah. It yeah. Did. I've got but, nine wigs that I barely wear, but I bought wigs just in case. Well, pass and them if, on because I need all the help I can get with <laughs> nah, my hair. Every now and again, <laughs> I still pop them on. But now when I pop them on, people are like, I prefer you with no hair. And I'm like, I prefer you mind your own business. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but I do hope you've noticed that your face and what's underneath the hair is very beautiful inside Thank and you. out. So that's a lovely, <laughs> that's a lovely moment. Yeah. And what's your favorite joke? <gasps> Whoopi Goldberg, parrot joke number one. It's my favorite. I will laugh at that joke every time. She's the all-time storyteller. And as people who want to be storytellers, that's somebody who I thrive to be like because she literally can tell a five-minute story, have you on a journey, and the punchline, when you look it on paper, probably looks like it won't be funny. But it's but when the it's delivery. Whoopy, it's yeah. yeah. We'll put a oh. link to that. Yeah. Parrot joke I- number one is the best. And isn't it, it's funny because she's so kind of American, as not she, her humour and her thing, but just such a power hat, everything about, yeah. I mean, there yeah. is no one like Whippy Goldberg, right? right? And she tells that story in the round, like yes. the power yeah. Yeah, of yeah, being yeah. funny and all they can see is the back of your head. Yeah. Is she who you want to be when you grow up? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Look at her life. Yeah. Actor, presenter. Oh, yeah. She literally, she is what you want. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah, of yeah. it. And yeah. comedy is just a string in a her A little book. bit on the side it's that she does her. every now and again. Yeah. yeah. I get it now. I see yeah. where you're going with your life. That's and it. if you could give one bit of life advice to anybody listening, what would it be? Get to know you. That's probably the most open-ended statement ever but when I say that I say whatever about you scares you figure that out and find out where it comes from because it can continue to scare you for the rest of your life but at least now you know what it is it's the not knowing what it is that makes it so dangerous and so scary That was my lovely friend Tanya Moore and you can watch us team up together on the BBC's Pointless Celebrities next month which is March 2022 if you're listening in the UK where you can see it you can probably see iPlayer all over the place I'll stop rambling now it's worth a watch 
Every episode, I pick a thing inspired by my guests that I'm going to do, and this week, inspired by this episode's American comedy facts, I'm going to reread one of the books that got me into stand-up in the first place, Steve Martin's brilliant autobiography, Born Standing Up, A Comic's Life. And there's a link to that book in the show notes, as well as all the other stuff we've talked about, as usual. So that is it for this week, lovely listener. Please do remember to rate, review and recommend the podcast. All of that massively helps people find us who might be new to it. Namaste. And we'll be back in your feed next Monday, as always, when I will be talking to award-winning American photographer and creator of a recent book which took my breath away, Visible Spectrum, Portraits from the World of Autism. It's Mary Berridge. All these professionals who did these evaluations, I would say, could this be autism? And they'd say, no, he's just quirky. Namaste, Motherfuckers was written and presented by me, Callie Beaton, and produced by Mike Hansen and Karusha Dami for Pod People Productions, with music by Jake Yap. I'm Callie Beaton. Until next time, Motherfuckers. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.